Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your compassion. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And great is your faithfulness. Thank you for the word of God. And the opportunity to look at it together. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. In clarity, in grace, in your power. Please go way beyond anything that I could say for your glory. And speak to us. And may you receive the honor and glory and praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One moment, she's perched on her swing, just singing like a lark, right there in her birdcage, enjoying life as only a parakeet could to the fullest. Meanwhile, Chippy's owner is vacuuming the living room and kind of enjoying life herself. When she finishes vacuuming, she notices that Chippy's birdcage needs a little cleaning out. She thought, well, I got a vacuum cleaner here. I got a hose with an attachment on it. I'll be careful. I'll just vacuum out that cage around Chippy. And so she does. She sticks that vacuum cleaner hose into Chippy's birdcage and starts vacuuming around the cage. But, whoops, guess what happened? Soup! Chippy got sucked in. Chippy went all the way through the vacuum cleaner hose into the vacuum cleaner bag. And now Chippy's owner is frantic. She shuts off the vacuum cleaner. She opens up the bag and there is poor little Chippy. Covered in dust and dirt and soot, and it is horrible. So she panics, the owner does. She grabs Chippy, and she runs to the bathroom. She turns on the bathroom faucet, full blast, sticks Chippy underneath it to wash Chippy off. Now Chippy is a shivering, soaking Mess. What am I going to do now? Well, the first thing that comes to her mind is she has a hair dryer in the bathroom. About three feet away, she reaches over, grabs the hair dryer, and blasts Chippy full blast to dry her off. By the time they got done, Chippy is totally dazed and in bird shock. Whatever that is. And she takes Chippy and sets Chippy back in her cage. They say a newspaper got wind of this story and came back to interview the owner a few days later and says, How's Chippy doing? 
The owner said, well, Chippy don't sing much anymore. She just sits there and stares. You ever felt like Chippy? I mean, you've been blown away, not in a good sense, by the circumstances of life. You've been blasted. You've been hit hard. You've been drenched. You've been soaked with problems. You've got all of these issues and all of these struggles and all of these heartaches and all of these pains. And well-meaning people try to help you out. But they don't help out so much. Well, you're not alone. You're in good company. It happens to the best of us. To the rich, the poor, the black, the white. It happens to people who really look like they got it going on. And it happens to people who look like they don't have it going on at all. It even happened to a follower of Jesus Christ by the name of Paul. Today we're going to begin a new sermon series on the book of 2 Corinthians. And what I really like about the book of 2 Corinthians, it is so practical. It is so real. Paul talks about his own personal issues and problems and struggles and heartaches and frustrations and pain like he does in no other book of the Bible. And if you'll hang in there throughout this sermon series, I believe that you will hear over and over and over again struggles and challenges and problems and issues and frustrations and heartaches and pains that you can relate to. And hopefully you'll find some encouragement in the middle of that. It's interesting, Paul writing so personally to this church at Corinth. Because i got to be honest with you, Corinth was not Paul's favorite church. The church at Philippi, the Philippians, yeah. Ephesus, yeah, that's a good church. Other churches, I think Paul really wrote with joy and visited with joy and thought about with joy. But not Corinth. They got problems. They got issues. They're not very receptive sometimes of Paul. In fact, many scholars believe that Paul wrote four letters to the church at Corinth. Two of them we don't have recorded, and one or two are harsher than the two that we have in the Bible. And some say that Paul made a very painful visit to the church at Corinth in order to try to straighten some things out, and it didn't go very well before he wrote this letter. So here we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 1 right here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul was always very grateful for the privilege of being an apostle. He knew he didn't deserve it. And he was very grateful for it. But that didn't keep him from this low. When Paul is writing this letter, he's not alone. Verse 1 continues. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul spent a fair amount of time and energy with a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy was an amazing young man in many ways, yet he was was timid and he, 
he got discouraged, and uh, so Paul is, is helping him out. But Paul also is human, and he needs a companionship. And Timothy needed a mentor. Who better than Paul, the greatest father of Jesus Christ who ever lived, probably. Paul knew he wasn't going to be around forever. And Paul saw in Timothy the potential for a great leader, in some ways a successor, or at least a successful pastor for the church at Ephesus, Ephesus, one of the great churches in the New Testament world. Listen, ministry is not done in a vacuum. We need each other. You see, you are part of what the Bible calls the body of Christ. Some of you may be like a hand, others like a foot, someone like a nose, someone like an elbow, someone like a mouth, I won't say who, but we all have a part in the body of Christ, and we need each other. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, I need you. Now tell them, you need me more than you think you do. We need each other, do we not? And I need you. We need each other. We're all in this together, okay? We'll get to that in a minute. First one continues. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Not only do Christians need each other, churches need each other. Northside Baptist Church is not some lone wolf here in central Kentucky. Did you know there are 47,000 Southern Baptist churches in America? There are 2,400 Southern Baptist churches in Kentucky. There are about 50 Southern Baptist churches in Hardin County. Let me tell you a secret. Southern Baptists are not the only good churches. Don't tell anybody I said that, okay? There are other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches. And we need to pray for one another. We need to partner with one another. We need to, to believe in one another, encourage one another, because we are in this together. Paul had a great calling of God in his life, and Paul had other people to share the ministry with, but Paul also knew hardship. There was a time in his life when he thought, apparently thought, he was done. Go to verse 8. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Listen, Paul is not some wimpy, whiny, human snowflake. He's not some milk toast personality. He's not some lukewarm, backslidden Christian writing this. This is the great Apostle Paul. And he said he went through some stuff. That was well beyond his ability to endure. In fact, it was so bad, he was ready to die. I'm done, Lord. I can't do this anymore. Ever been there? We don't know what specific hardship Paul was referring to. We do know this. He was a man who had been through 
a lot. He tells us later in this letter that he had suffered countless, countless beatings. And he remembered five of those times when he received 39 lashes. Some thought 40 could kill a man. He remembered three times being beaten with rods. He remembered being stoned, not with drugs, but hit with these huge rocks, okay? Till I thought he was dead. He was in and out and in and out of prison. Shipwrecked, he said, three times. He said, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. We don't know if those were real lions or wild animals. They could have been a metaphor. This could have been for the people. But whatever it was, it was hard. And Paul had been through a lot. And there may have been a part of the great apostle Paul that felt like giving up. You ever felt like that? Verse 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Here is the great Apostle Paul, the greatest follower of Jesus Christ who ever lived, just being real. I thought it over, he says. I'm done, probably going to die, time to go and be with Jesus. If ever there was a time when Paul thought he could trust himself, not anymore. You ever been there? You thought you had talent, you thought you had ability, you thought you had skills. You're the hardest worker that you knew. Nobody's going to outwork you, but then you had a heart attack, or you got cancer, or you got fired from your job, or you lost someone you love and you didn't see it coming. Listen, Paul was a man who had skills. He was brilliant, one of the greatest intellects of his day. And talk about hard work and passion. That guy was passionate like most of us have never seen before. Nobody worked harder than Paul. If anybody could have trusted himself, Paul could have. But God puts Paul in a place where he cannot trust in his abilities anymore. Paul says here at the end of verse 9, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Listen, some of you have incredible skills. You have amazing abilities, charismatic personalities. You can charm a room. You can change the atmosphere around you. You have the ability to make a buck like nobody else can make a buck. You can do things that very few other people can do. Maybe you can sing like a bird. Maybe you can lead like nobody's business. Maybe you can fill in the blank for you. If you're not careful, you will start trusting in your abilities more than you trust in your God. Don't do that. Because ultimately, whatever we do depends on our God. Think about it. Who gave you the physical ability to even be able to get up and get out of bed this morning? God did, right? If you don't believe that, there will come a time, there will come a day when you won't be able to and you won't take that for granted. 
Who gives you the ability to think? Who gives you the ability to see or to hear or to taste or to touch? Who gives you the ability to have an influence on the people around you? God gave that to you. Use it for his glory and depend upon his power. And especially if you are going to make a lasting impact on people's lives for the glory of God in a way that will last forever, you can only do that through the power of God. John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing of eternal value apart from the power of your God. Paul thought he was going to die. But God wasn't done with him yet. Go to verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Now, Paul was not a fatalist. No one worked harder than Paul. But God did apparently send Paul the reminder. You can't do this in your own power. You can't do this in your own strength. You cannot be what you need to be apart from me. God ever send you a reminder? I get them a lot. There are times when I work especially hard on a sermon. And I'm thinking, okay, God... I am going to work, and I am going to pray, and I'm going to be one of the best preachers these people have ever heard. And I step into the pulpit. I got junk in my throat. I can't clear it out. Or I get confused or forget an illustration, and I just like, okay, God, can you just pull this trap door and let me escape right now? Ever happen to you? I have plans, I have dreams, I have all these possibilities, and I'm so excited about them. Then something doesn't work out, and this happens, or that happens, or something else happens, and God reminds me, it's not you, Kevin. It's me, okay? If anything great's going to happen, it's going to have to be through me. I've been trying lose some weight. And I've been working to try to get in better shape. And I'm, I'm continually trying to improve because, Mike, I know I'm not going to be able to retire in the next 10 years, okay? But, you know, about a year or so ago, I got this plantar fasciitis. You ever had that? And then in about the last six months, it developed this sciatic nerve. And so it's like I can stand, I'm going to preach and it doesn't seem to bother me. Some people wish it would so I'd quit sooner. But anyway, it's like I went to the funeral home the other night. And uh, love Brother Johnny, Miss Leslie and your family. And our hearts go out to you. But I went there and there's a really long line. And uh, it's like 45 minutes to an hour and and I'm Standing in line. I can stand up for like five minutes. It's like, I got to go sit down. Anybody here like that? Got a few. And, 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 but anyway, I got my 17-year-old old, old daughter, 17-year-old daughter, Michaela, with me. 
course, she doesn't need to sit down. And there's a 75-year-old woman behind me. She don't need to sit down either. Every couch I can find, I'm sitting down all the way around this room. Okay, there's a couch, there's a chair, there's a couch, there's a chair, there's a couch, there's a chair. I'm just making my way around. What are you, some old man or what? There's a 75-year-old woman standing up and you're sitting down. What kind of gentleman are you? I'm a hurting one, okay? God has to remind us. It ain't us. Excuse the grammar, but understand the point. It's Him. If anything is going to be done that is going to last for His glory, it's got to be done for His glory and through His power. If I got any self made men in the room, any self sufficient women, anybody that thinks, I got this, maybe you do. For a little while. But just remember. Whatever you have. You got from God. You got your ability to think from God. Your ability to talk from God. Your ability to work from God. Anybody. Hearing this. You know that you really need God. Absolutely. And I mean. We all know that we need God to go to heaven. Right? We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift, okay? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We get that. We understand we cannot earn our salvation. But too many people in Baptist churches and probably a lot of other churches, they have this idea that, yeah, that, that God's for all the spiritual stuff, but, you know, I can do the other stuff in my own power. Well, who gave you that power? Who gave you that ability? Everything that you do as a Christian, you should do for the glory of God and the power of God. Paul says all this struggle. All this despair, all this trouble happened in my life to make me keep on continually dependent on God. In the middle of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said that in order to keep him from being conceited, he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. Someone said, when we are most helpless, we are most dependent. Here's the question. Who are you dependent on? Now, do not hear this sermon as an excuse for laziness. We ought to work harder than anybody else works, okay? For the glory of God. You ought to be the best employee your boss has for the glory of God. You ought to believe and you ought to trust and you ought to dream and you ought to grow because God lives inside of you. And what could be better than that? And he wants to use you for his glory to touch this world through whatever your vocation may be. But remember, everything that you have is a gift being loaned to you by God for his glory. Verse 10 says he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. It's as though Paul is saying, yes, following God did place me in the middle of a deadly peril, but God delivered me. 
and he will deliver me again. I'm going to make a statement that I want you to chew on for a moment. The statement is this. The safest place to be is in the middle of God's perfect will. Why do I say that? Because following God will keep you out of trouble? Well, maybe, maybe not. Sometimes following God will lead you smack dab into the middle of it, right? Because following God means life will be easy. Well, do you think Peter, James, or John, or Paul had it easy? Here's why I say that. Because when you put yourself voluntarily in the middle of God's perfect plan for your life, He takes responsibility for what happens in your life. When you aren't following God, you might bring your own trouble on yourself. God's like, okay, you want to go ahead and do that? Go ahead. But I'm not in it. But when you do follow God, when you do trust in Jesus, he said, I got that. I'm in this. I'll help you through that. He's there. And he wants to help you and empower you. Paul knew something. And knew it before, but now he knows it better than ever. He could not do this Christian life on his own. And neither can you. So Paul is able to write after going through the most difficult experience of his life in a deeper, more meaningful way than ever before when he writes here in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 2, 3, and 4. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Aren't you glad our God is the God of all comfort? How many of you ever need some comfort? God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. God doesn't say, follow me, and you won't have any trouble. He says, I'll be there with you in the middle of it, and I will be your comforter. I'll be your help. I'll be your hope. God's grace is sufficient. His power made perfect in our weakness. Paul's been to the top of the mountain, and he's been to the bottom of the valley. And so have many of you. You know what it's like to have success. You know what it's like for people to think you're good. You know what it's like to be able to pay the bills and have a little bit of money left over. You know what it's like to have blessing in your life. But you probably also know what it's like to have heartache and suffering and pain. Because we all deal with that in one way or another. Last week we sang this song. I made him sing it twice in the second service. Some of you are here. It says, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. 
Mountains too high, the valleys too wide. Down on my knees, I've learned to stand. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Anybody been there? Some of us live there, do we not? Praise God. God doesn't just comfort us so we can feel comforted, though. He comforts us so we can help others. Go to verse 4. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others' trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You ever been knocked down? You ever been hurt? You ever been suffered, grieving, and then God came along and God gave you strength and God gave you help and God gave you hope in the middle of that? Listen, He didn't just do that for you. He also did that so you can come alongside others who are hurting and help them with the comfort. God has given you. Listen, we are all in this together. Say it together with me. Together. Say it again. Together. We're all in this together. I said that in the first service. I thought of the high school musical. Anybody ever watch watch the Disney Channel? All right. If you haven't seen it, don't go back. It's not worth it, okay? But there's a theme there. We're all in this together, are we not? That's why church is so important. Because we gather together, right? That's why Sunday school, Bible studies, small groups are so important. Because it reminds us that we are all in this together, right? I went to a Sunday school class party last night, Jim Richardson's class. And you know what I like best about that whole deal? Besides, I actually won one of the cornhole tournament games. I didn't win the thing, but I won one. George and whoever his partner, they won it, but anyway. But when the people gathered, they're all hugging each other, and they're just excited to see one another like they haven't seen each other in years. And there's a togetherness there. That's what church is about. That's what small groups in Sunday school are about, Carol, that we might walk through this together because we need one another. Verse 10, Paul says, on him, on Jesus, we set our hope. Question, where's your hope today? Are you trusting in your bank account? Are you trusting in your skills? Are you trusting in your job? Are you trusting in your husband? Are you trusting in your wife? Those can all be good things. But where is your ultimate trust? Where is your ultimate hope? Because all of those things can be gone tomorrow. Put your hope in God. Verse 10 continues. On Him we've set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Paul was confident. God was not done with him yet. I got good news. God's not done with you yet either. 
You may have some setbacks. You may have some issues. You may have some struggles. You may have some problems. You may get knocked down. But God ain't done with you yet. Philippians 1 6 says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? And nobody is too young to get started or too old to continue. I was reminded of that yesterday. I was out walking the dog, Benny. How many of you know who Benny is? Walk him about six times a day. I'm like, okay. Wayne and Alta saw me out there the other day. They said, Captain, you look like you're hurting. I said, yeah, I am hurting, all right? Anyway, I was walking down the street, Sunningdale Way. Isn't that a nice name for a street? Sunningdale Way. A lot of really nice people from our church live. Somehow I got some Sunningdale Way people back there. Yeah, a lot of you. Okay. Anyway, over here, yeah, neighbors. Anyway, I saw these two kids that were from our church, the Nuppenbergs. You may not know the Nuppenbergs. They're a younger family, and they go to the first service. And I noticed I'm about 150 feet away. It's like they look like they got a lemonade stand over there. And I start walking. I get a little closer. I'm about 100 feet away, and I got my little dog, Benny, and I'm just like, I'm tired. I want to turn around. And they got two Great Danes. I thought I'd get Benny over there. Who knows what's going to happen? I thought, you know, those kids might appreciate it. I'm going to walk on down there. So I take Benny on down. He's wanting to go anyway because there's kids down there, right? We get down there, there's a lemonade stand. And they see me from about 50 feet away, Terry. And they say, Brother Kevin, Pastor Kevin, we give you a pastor's discount. Come on now. Like, I'm all in. I thought I was going to give them like big bucks. I gave them a, a dollar. And the, I noticed the cost was a dollar, so I really didn't give anything extra. But I didn't take my discount. It's so cool, though, that they told us later, Monique and I, that she was trying to make some money so she could buy her a purse. And she brought her purse with her today. And I gave her like her first dollar and put it in. It's like, yeah. But I was reminded. This kid's like six years old. But she understands. I can do things. Listen. If you can operate a lemonade stand, you can touch people with the love of Jesus Christ. Can you not? No one is too young. And no one is too old. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, you know, back when I was 50, I could do some stuff. But I'm 85 now. I'm not so sure. Let me tell you something you can do. Probably better than most of us can do. For one reason, you may have been walking with God longer. And another reason is because you may have more time. But you can pray and listen. There is nothing that we can do that is more important than prayer. Absolutely nothing. Some of you say, well, I can't do much, but I'll pray. Listen, you're doing more than just about anybody's doing, okay? You're praying. You're asking God. 
to do something incredible for his glory because everything that we do ultimately depends not on your power, but on God's power. So you keep praying. You keep crying out to God. You keep seeking him. You keep on being his instrument in this world because there is nothing that you can do that is more important than prayer. And Paul tells the church at Corinth here in verse 11, you're helping us by your prayers. You want to do something for me? Pray. I need it. And God is glorified by it. Pray. For one another. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. Pray for God's kingdom to be expanded and extended and Jesus Christ to be glorified and for people to come to know Jesus in greater ways than we've ever seen before. Pray, pray, pray. Trust in God and pray. And pray for one another. People are hurting. People are in need. People have struggles. Pray. And let God work as only He can work.